Welcome to the Utah Women in Leadership podcast series. Today we're going to talk about Utah women and mental health, which is a topic of one of our recent research snapshots. I'm Dr. Susan Madsen, founder of the Utah Women in Leadership Project, and I'm here with Robin Scribner, the lead researcher for the Research Snapshot series here at the project. Now, according to the World Health Organization, there is no health without mental health. I thought that was interesting. And a 2015 national report stated that one, and this is national, one in five adults in the U.S. suffer from mental illness, and actually 4% have a serious mental illness. Robin, how does this play out in terms of gender uh, nationally? Well, overall, in Utah and the United States, women are definitely diagnosed with mental health issues at much higher rates than men. They receive different types of treatment at higher rates than men. And we're not sure what are the factors that play into that. There are some different possibilities. One of them definitely is that women are more likely to be diagnosed. They're more likely to go in and seek help, whereas men may just say, oh, you know, there's more of a stigma maybe for men with mental health. But overall, when we're looking at it, women are diagnosed with mental health and treated at much higher rates than men. And the Utah Department of Health actually states that mental health refers to, so they give a definition, mental health refers to an individual's ability to negotiate the daily challenges and social interactions of life without experiencing undue emotional or behavioral incapacity. So they can be influenced by, and we write a little bit about this in the brief, by genetic factors, chronic physical uh, diseases and illnesses, and environmental stressors as well. You know, we, we ended up really focusing in our snapshot on depression and anxiety because those are the, the things that we see most common in the state of Utah or nationally too, I've forgotten that. So one of the things that, that we found when we were doing our research is we had a hard time comparing apples to apples yes. when it came to some of these mental health statistics that we were looking at. For instance, um, some of our reports, we were looking at national reports, and then the Utah reports wouldn't have comparable national data. So in, in some reports, we were ranked slightly below the national average in the percentage of adults who suffered from poor mental health. But generally, when it comes to depression specifically, we are far above yes. the national average. And that's something we know when we're looking around at, at some of the factors that around depression, such as suicide, which we'll talk about later, that here in Utah, our, our rates of depression are above the national average. And then when we look at Utah men and women, we're finding that women are suffering from depression and are reporting it at much higher rates than men. Yeah, and in Utah, the, the latest report, 2016, says that women are almost 20% versus about 12% of men. So we still see depression among men in Utah, right. but quite a bit more with women. Um, and, and people may ask, um, why is that so? Why do women have more depression? As you mentioned nationally, we have some data on that. But in Utah, we have a couple clues. And interestingly, one relates to pregnancy. Right. And of course, we have more pregnant women in Utah compared to the, the nation oh, and yes. bigger families and all of that. So I think that element is so fascinating and um, troublesome in some way. So one of the ways that uh, that we commonly track mental wellness is by asking people to self-assess. Yeah. And so a recent study asked women to report uh, how many days of poor mental health they would have a month. And women reported average 4.2 days a month versus 2.7 days for men. So women were more likely to have more days. But when they looked at women who reported seven or more poor mental health days in the past 30 days, for the age group of Utah women from 18 to 34, it was 24%. That's who funny. averaged having a solid week out of every month having poor mental health days. That's one in four. That is a huge number. And that was the highest age group at, 
It continued to decline over the years, and it was the same for men. Men were highest at 16% at ages 18 to 34 and declined over but their 18 age. 18 to 34 is when Prime childbearing child age, especially here in the state of Utah, yeah. right? And you're right, the uh, perinatal mood disorder. So uh, not- Postpartum not, depression? Yes, postpartum depression is the main one, okay. the most serious one that we look at. But there are other factors as well, and that's why they have sort of the more umbrella term of the perinatal mood disorders. Please Let's talk. talk about this for a minute because it's a really serious issue. Um, nationally, about 15% of women experience postpartum depression, and they found that to be the same in state, although different research studies uh, put our numbers um, way higher than the rest of the nation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found most interesting in doing this research was that it really is the most common complication of pregnancy. Higher people than, don't think about right, it being they don't, a complication. Right, they don't think of it. You know, they say, oh, did you have gestational diabetes? Did you have um, hypertension, preterm labor, things like that. But uh, postpartum depression is higher than any of those. By but, far. Yes, By but far. it's one of the least frequently studied and diagnosed. And our research actually found that 60% of women who experienced symptoms of postpartum depression didn't seek help from a medical professional. So, you know, almost two out of three women who are experiencing this um, condition that can be extremely dangerous, in some cases even tragic. We've it, seen it instances has, yeah. of that in the state of Utah where, um, you know, even suicide has happened as a result of postpartum depression, and that's devastating to a family, to, a, you know, a community. And yet so many women who are experiencing this pretty common condition aren't receiving treatment, aren't seeking treatment. One of the factors that, that some people... Uh, looked at to see maybe why women weren't getting treatment is for those who are on Medicaid, their, oh, yeah. their health coverage ends 60 days after birth, if that's the only health insurance they have. And that might be too soon to even recognize that they're having these symptoms of postpartum depression. So there are availability factors, there are financial yeah. factors going into it. Our snapshot points out that about 15% of Utah women report frequent postpartum symptoms, which is higher than the nation. Right. Um, the nation is about 10%. Yeah, so, so we this, have more in Utah. Yeah, these issues surrounding uh, the perinatal mood disorders are really important for us to study in greater depth and make sure that we're getting the resources. Because here in Utah, as you mentioned before, we have the highest birth rate in the nation and we have the largest household size. So it's not just the new mom and this baby, which we have more of them in the state, but these women often have several other children yes. at home, which adds so much to the pressures of all the things that you're dealing with with a new child. And so you and I, Susan, we both know this from yes. experience, yes, right? Yes, we do. We, between I have the four two children. Us, we have 10 kids. Yes, we do. And so <laughs> we understand these pressures, but, but there's this idea, this expectation, oh, we're gonna have this bliss after having a new baby. And so women feel ashamed. And Why aren't I happy right now? Yeah, and, and I think often, you know, the 60% of women, like you said, do not report it, do not talk to their physician about it, because I think we kind of hear about it. I know with, with one of my pregnancies, I really, I was on bed rest for six months. And then after I really struggled, I had three other kids, I really struggled. But I didn't seek medical attention. I, I just suffered in silence, right. I think. And sometimes we think that that, um, and, we're, and that doesn't mean when you seek, you know, medical attention that you're looking for drugs. You, you need to understand. There are That's lots of the different key. ways to treat these to treat yeah. these things and make sure that you're getting the help that you need. So, so just talking, really you know, searching topic. for good information, sometimes on the internet, sometimes there's not good information on the internet. <laughs> um, but you, you, you talked about the age, which I think is, is very important. And we do see, you know, the, the depression through 
with many age groups, but as Robin had commented, it's the highest uh, really among the 18 to 34. But there's also some other demographics that we found in the research, and that related to race. And there's some interesting data uh, nationally about race. Um, uh, I thought it was interesting in the national data that, that those who belong to two races, if they report, were actually slightly higher, and then white was second, and then native Alaskan uh, was third and so forth. But tell us about what the research says uh, in Utah about race. So those are some great factors to look at. When you're looking at those who identified with different racial or ethnic groups within the state and then reported experiencing poor mental health, we uh, the highest so in the state of yeah self reporting yeah. the highest in the state of Utah was uh, American Indian or Native Alaskan that's a, an official designation at twenty one point three percent followed by Pacific Islander at seventeen point three percent then those who identified as white at sixteen percent Asian at fifteen point six percent and black at fifteen percent and then they looked at non Hispanic so any of those could be Hispanic or so non Hispanic they're pretty close a lot of those percentages right they're closer are than those close. percentages yeah. there's a smaller breakdown than there is nationally nationally the gap is wider but one of the things that I wanted to mention when it comes at looking at racial and ethnic differences when experiencing or reporting poor mental health is that it's not necessarily telling the whole story yes. looking at these numbers. Research shows people from different racial and ethnic backgrounds have similar rates of mental health, but that those in racial or ethnic minorities within the United States are less likely to use mental health yes. services. Some of the reasons are because of the cost access to health insurance, but also cultural attitudes. Different groups might might be more likely to say, hey, if you're struggling, go get some help. And other groups might say, hey, suck it up. Pull yourself together, right? And those can be cultural differences. And so it's going to change the reporting that people report of their own That's you know, a good experiences. Yeah. So we look at these numbers, but we need to understand that there are extenuating factors that, that play into these different demographic numbers. And there's also some other things that, that, and some of these are not shocking, but it's good for us to review those because when we're working with people or just in understanding ourselves too, but when we're working with people in church groups or neighborhoods, understanding these are important. But some other factors, poverty status, as you know, the research is quite clear that within that poverty status, the more depression you're going to feel. And also education level was interesting as well. And I've seen this through the years in many, many studies that the more education you have, the more likely you won't be uh, in depression as much and you'll have more stronger mental health. Susan, can we share the specific numbers on those? Because sure. they're actually quite dramatic. So women in the state of Utah who were living in poverty were 15%, 15% uh, of them were likely to report poor mental health versus only 6.2% of those who were living above the that's poverty level. That's a huge difference. So that's more than twice as much. And then when we look at the education, it's also a dramatic difference. So 29% of women with no high school degree had seven or poor mental health days in the previous month versus only 22% of women with a high school degree, 23% of women with some college, and only 13.9% of women with a college degree. So looking at no, no high school versus a college degree, it goes from 29% down to only 13.9%. And with the education, I've, I've looked at research through the years that women with more education are more resilient and, um, and that piece relates to depression. Right. So if you are more resilient and, and you learn through education and through you know continually developing yourself, you learn more about yourself and that helps as well. So there's also, if you have physical health conditions um, or negative life experiences, and those can be traumatic you know, things, but divorce, even divorce with your parents, right? And um, sexual assault when you're a child, those kinds of things. And, 
tend to lean towards uh, mental health issues as you get older. Susan, those are all really important factors. When we're looking at, and, and again, they show how much all different areas of wellness really interrelate. Yes. When we're looking at the education, the economic status, the physical health problems. One thing that I found fascinating was that people who have poor physical health are much more likely to uh, report poor mental health. Mm -hmm. In fact, those people who, those women who suffer from significant chronic disorders like cancer, heart disease, diabetes, uh, anyone who experienced two of those chronic disorders was that 43% of those people were using antidepressants. Wow. So that is a huge number. So the physical and mental health, the interrelation of those two things is really, really interesting. And we need to understand that better. But then when you're talking about the negative life experiences, the, so many different things that can happen throughout childhood and throughout your life yes. can really affect mental health. One study showed that in our state, one third to one half of Utahns suffering from a severe mental illness had experienced childhood physical or sexual abuse. Wow. So those severely traumatic events that happen in childhood uh, can have very long reaching effects. And so some of the things that we're going to talk about is how many people don't receive treatment for mental health. And it can last your whole life. The effects can last your whole life. But with the right kind of treatment, things can get so much better. We also mentioned some statistics about suicide related to mental health. And, and I would think most, if not all, suicides are related to mental health issues as well. But shockingly to some people, we have some of the highest suicide rates in the nation, specifically in various categories. And one of those is women, right? Yes. yes. So overall, worldwide actually, but also in the United States and in Utah, men commit suicide at yes. much higher rates than women. But it's often because they're using more drastic means. But women attempt suicide at higher rates. And in when Utah, in Utah, I mean, the leading cause of death among Utahns between 10 and 17 now is suicide. Yes. So our youth suicide rate among both boys and girls is, is dramatically high. In fact, a recent study of uh, 36 states, we were the highest for adolescent females in our suicide rate in the state of Utah between 2012 and 2014. And so this is one of the most tragic outcomes of these mental health issues, and specifically untreated mental health issues, that it can lead to suicide, which our suicide rates in the state are far too high and above national average in, in all areas. And so, you know, we, we talk about, and, and actually we've had events where we've talked about this, we've brought in therapists who have talked about this issue, but there have been efforts and are continually efforts to address these issues, the mental health issues in general. But in Utah, we do talk more about depression and also anxiety. I mean, I serve on the Utah County United Way Board, and we, because of the statistics here in the Valley, we've done a big project and, and have resources around how to strengthen resilience in our children. Um, and that relates to anxiety and depression and different things like that. But, but antidepressant use. So this, this issue came up, I believe it was 2002. Right. When we hit uh, a national report as, as being the state that used the most antidepressants. Right. So we were ranked highest in the nation. And it's, it was frustrating when we were doing this current research snapshot because there hasn't really yeah. been any update to that study. And so we hear it cited all the time. I would find a, a report from 2016 that used this number, but I'm like, well, those are numbers from 2002. Those and a lot are, has happened right. in, since but, 2002. But we do know that, you know, for women, it's the top dollar spender in the state as far as prescription medication. So we do know that still it's very common and a lot of people find it to be an important 
part of their treatment and therapy. But it's something that, that needs to be really looked at carefully with your healthcare professional because some people look at some of the negative side effects, especially when it comes to children. And so we do have a, a strong use of antidepressants within the state. And, and that's something talk, people need I, to be careful about. Absolutely. And as I've talked to therapists through the years about these issues, they have taught me a little bit more about it. And, you know, there are antidepressants used for people that are clinically depressed. But one therapist a while back talked about motivational depression or situational depression and really felt like, and we again, we don't have pure data on this, but really felt at least two-thirds of the people, and actually a number of therapists confirmed this with me, um, but about two-thirds of who they see are really more situational or motivational, not, not necessarily clinically depressed. So it's interesting to look at that. Whatever depression looks like, you know, we need to help encourage and support and treat that. So, so antidepressant use and other types of medications are only one part yes. of the puzzle, right, and using to treat mental health issues. So individual or group therapy is a really important tool, yet in the state of Utah, only 45% of adults and 41% of adolescents with mental health conditions receive this type of treatment. And one of the things that I found the most um, kind of alarming within the state of Utah is that in every single county in the state, we have been designated a mental health provider shortage area, which means that we don't have enough mental health professionals to treat those who need it. We're far below the national average as far as the health professionals per capita. And so this is something that we need to be working at in our educational systems, within our public policy, to be making sure we're getting the providers yes. and the mental health professionals And there's some good programs the in yes. the state of Utah. Oh, BYU some has ones. some fabulous programs. University of Utah has programs through their social work and other programs to train train those, but people really struggle um, with really finding the right therapist or just a therapist in general that right. can help them, especially one that has a really good reputation. And I will tell you from experience with people around me that getting good therapy for youth in the state of Utah is almost impossible in a timely way to get that in a timely way. Right. And as we mentioned before, with the suicide issue, that can be critically important to get these young people the help they need when they need it. But Susan, there's one more factor in this looking at treatment that is also vitally important, and that's affordability of the treatment. Yes. One of the things that we're looking at within the state of Utah is the availability of health care and health insurance that actually covers mental health. And so that's a part of the picture, especially different uh, ethnic groups within the state. Research showed that Hispanic women were more likely to be without health insurance than non-Hispanic white women. And so some of the groups of people that are needing this mental health treatment not only is it hard to find because of the shortage of healthcare professionals, but paying for it, it actually can be very expensive if you don't have health insurance and other ways to pay for it. So these are all factors that we need to be looking at as stakeholders and influencers within the state to make sure that we're finding ways to get mental health care to those who need it. And I will tell you that I've been in many conversations, you have too, with groups in Utah, specifically health department as well as the University of Utah health system and, and medical school, this is a really important topic to many. I know it's important to the, the Utah Women and the Economy Commission. They've looked at that and groups like the YWCA, Utah Women's Coalition, Utah Voices, uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and a lot of, there's some great uh, Utah departments within the state government that work on that as well. So this is not something that hasn't been addressed, but the more that we find 
about it. We can help ourselves, but also people, you know, our families and people around us. And there are resources out there. It's quite remarkable when you look at that. A couple things just on our website that can be useful. We have some videos when we have therapists that have come together to give advice on some of these issues at some of the events that we have. And we have other resources as well. And our brief is called Utah Women in Mental Health. Actually has the resources cited at the end and we have lots of you know, our reports at the end cited as well. So Susan, when you're talking about awareness, I think that's one of the most important keys to really dealing effectively with our mental health crisis really in the state of Utah. So many people, I know this actually from personal experience with close loved ones, so many people don't understand mental health when they're experiencing mental health problems they hide themselves. It, don't they? Yeah, they don't understand it. They feel ashamed. They feel embarrassed. They think they can pull themselves out of it without recognizing that there is so much help available. Mental health conditions thrive in the shadows, right? And if and if we feel isolated, it can make it even worse. It actually contributes to the depression and the anxiety thinking, I'm the only one who feels this. I'm all alone. And so what we really wanted to do in bringing this up and discussing this today was to make sure that each one of us recognizes there is help available. There are so many resources and people don't have to live with poor mental health. And I think bringing that topic, some of these topics that we have our snapshots and briefs about, specifically our snapshots on sexual assault and domestic violence and, and mental health and others, people just don't often like to talk about it. But I think things are changing in the last few years because we know that there are issues. We know people die from this. We know people live in depression and we need to have these topics rise up a little bit more in terms of conversations people not being embarrassed to talk about it, to share their experiences and to help others. So bringing this out of the shadows into more of a commonplace discussion, don't you think that'll help a lot of people? Oh, absolutely. And so we need to look at this for our own selves and look at the people around us. I know that I actually suffered from depression several years ago, and it was the situational depression that you were talking about. And the thing that saved my life was actually a group of women in my book group who we were all talking one night. And as they started sharing their stories, I recognized that I wasn't alone and it was a game changer for me. And so as if we're willing to share and talk about these things openly, we can make a real difference in the lives of those around us. And again, we do have some resources, some videos, other briefs, different things on our website and places that we can send you. If you look around our website to other groups that really have, we don't have personally the expertise uh, that a therapist were, would or mental health um, professional, but we can shift people to that uh, with the, the resources and, and some of our events and the research that we have done. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast series hosted by the Utah Women in Leadership Project at Utah Valley University. Our core mission is to strengthen the impact of Utah girls and women. If you want to read the research snapshot we discussed today or learn more about our research, resources, and events, please visit us at utwomen.org. Thank you. Thank you.